freedom that he gives us in his house. Well, it is good to be back with you. It's uh, been three weeks since I've stood before you on a Sunday morning, and I've missed being with you. I uh, appreciate the fact that we have Pastor James able to fill in, don't even have to worry in my absence. Well, one Sunday I was actually here when he was preaching, but uh, this past week uh, we were involved with the funeral service for Angela's father. appreciate your prayers in that, and uh, you continue to pray for her and her family, but... Uh, it was a beautiful service, and those go a long way for the healing process. And so just wanted to share that as a pastor. Appreciate your support to our family in this. Now, as you're turning to the second chapter of the book of Job, I want to do just a brief review. This will be the fourth message and we're not, of course, just going uh, verse by verse through the book of Job, but this is, will be the fourth. Uh, the first one we did, we looked at the foundations of worship. Why do you worship? And we talked about that if you're only going to worship God when you receive positive things, the blessings, then your foundation is not uh, what it should be, because we worship God because he is worthy. And in this uh, second message we looked at, we talked about going through a crisis ourselves, preparing as humanly as possible for that. It's not possible to do it fully, but there's things we can do and we can it is possible for us to maintain integrity during a crisis and in the third message we looked at the principles for we as believers when we would go through a dark night of the soul so this morning we are now going to be introduced to job's three friends and we're going to look at principles for comforting others as they go through the hard times. It's not always us, but God would have us minister to people, and so we need to know some things about how to do that. So we're going to look at four principles, two of which we want to avoid. We're going to learn that from his friends, and then we're going to look at two principles that are going to be helpful. Why is that important? Uh, well, because we're all called on to deal with certain situations uh, that deal with people suffering, and, and we need to know the right way to do things. Uh, this reminds me of a story of, of three friends that were going to a receiving before a funeral, and the one friend was going in, the two were coming out, uh, and it was a tragic accident. Uh, young wife, several kids involved, and the husband had died in an accident. And so the friends met. The two had come out, one getting ready to go in, and he was saying, uh, one going in was saying to the two coming out, he said, I just, I struggle with this. I, I, I just don't know what to say. I just feel so awkward going through the receiving line. 
what do you say? And, and one of the friends that had come out said, well, just, you know, keep it simple. You don't say, have to say a whole lot. You say, you know, I'm, I'm sorry for your loss. And then move on. So the guy, he starts going through the line. He gets up there to the grieving widow. She's crying, and he takes her by the hand. He says, I'm sorry for your loss. Then he looked at her and said, move on. <laughs> we, we don't want to be that person. We don't want to be. Some of y'all had still hadn't got that. But uh, <laughs> we can learn from the Bible, and so the things not to do are very important. So, uh, if you have your place there in Job chapter 2, this will be a short reading. I invite and encourage you to stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. I am going to begin reading in verse 11, and that's only through the end of the chapter, verse 13. Verse 11, now when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that had come upon him they came each from his own place Eliphaz the Temanite Bildad the Shuite and Zophar the Naamite they made an appointment together to come show him sympathy and comfort him and when they saw him from a distance they did not recognize him and they raised their voices and wept, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads toward heaven. And they sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his suffering was very great. Father, we ask a blessing upon this word and ask now that you would, through your Holy Spirit, apply these principles to our hearts, Father, that we might serve you more effectively as believers and bring comfort to those who are hurting. We ask and pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As I said, four principles. We're not going through, uh, we're not going to actually get back to chapter two until the third principle. We're going to leave these two negative principles first. And so what, what happens here from from chapter 3, which we talked about last time when Job gives his lament, the next section, it's a lengthy section, chapter 4 through 31, involves these three friends, which we just introduced, and there's a series of dialogues. One of the friends will throw out something, and then Job will respond and the next friend will throw out something, Job responds, next friend, Job responds, and that cycle occurs three times, and it takes all those chapters. And so we're going to go back and forth through them. I just, I just want to share that um, up front so it won't be going through like we do, like with the book of uh, John or something like that. But... These guys, they have good intentions, but overall their record is not very well in the comfort department. And the first principle we learn from them is this. Do not assume you know the reason for the person's suffering. And if you want to flip over to Job chapter 4, 
this is Eliphaz. He's, he's the first one in line. And in verse 7 and 8, we're just going to read those right now. He's t- and remember, he's telling Job this. And bear in mind, you always, when you're going through the book of Job, you need to remember chapters 1 and 2. That's the council in heaven. That's when the accuser comes in and says all this stuff. And God allows this suffering to come upon Job, even though he hasn't done anything wrong. God's justice is on trial here. But none of these friends, nor Job, know about that. So what does Eliphaz do? Verse 7, remember, who that was innocent ever perished, or where were the upright cut off? As I have seen, those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. Basically, he's saying, Job, we know you're saying you're innocent, but who, who, whoever was an innocent person ever had something like this go on? And he said, verse 8, hey, if you're sinning your life, if you reap that, you're, you're going to, well, if you sow that, you're going to reap that. So what's going on, Job, is, is because of some hidden sin in your life. They're, they're assuming things. There's, in their mind, there's no way that someone who is innocent can be suffering like Job is. And so off the bat, they start talking about his need to repent. And if you look over in chapter 11 of Job, this is uh, Zophar. And so far, he's the last of the friends to speak each time. Matter of fact, in the third, third cycle, he doesn't even speak at all. But so far, just cuts right to the chase. You look at verses uh, 5 and 6, in which I just now realized uh, that is not the right verses. I am terribly sorry, but... 11, 5, and 6 is about uh, something very different. But what he actually says, wherever it is, and it's here, he, he actually tells him that God has given Job less than he deserves. Now, what has happened to Job? He's lost everything he owns. All ten of his kids have died in an accident and his health has been taken with him and then you got this guy saying well God's given you less than you deserve now think about that in in terms of just what we go through we do experience a single death we do experience cancer we experience sickness and can you imagine, for, well, you know, God's just giving you less than you deserve. How, how do you think that's going to go over? Don't, we don't, we're, we're bad to assume things. and think, well, I don't, I don't do that. Well, sometimes we do. 
Case in point, what do we assume when, oh, let's say it's January, February, 33 degrees outside, spitting rain, and we get behind someone on a scooter on Highway 90. What do we assume about that person? <laughs> DUI. Okay. All right. That one's probably true, so that's not a good thing. But yeah, we, we jump to the conclusion. Why else would you be wrong? Do we really know that? But we jump to thoughts. Now, this was a, a, a true story. A lady had four kids on a subway, and the kids were young. I think they were 10 and, and younger, as the story goes, as I recall. Um, and she was just sitting there, and the kids were going wild. And they were annoying all the other passengers. And they were getting upset at the mom for being slack so one of them finally i don't know what the kid i can't remember what what the child did but he went and said hey look lady what's go you know your kids are going crazy you need to rein them in you need to do something about this situation they're they're just running rampant and annoying all of us and and it's almost like she snapped out of it and she said oh i'm i, I am so sorry um we have just come from uh, a funeral their, their dad died and then you know my husband and I, I'm just kind of out of shape and I guess the kids are acting out too and I'm so sorry with that piece of information those passengers instead of being annoyed at those children they started interacting with them and ministering to them and engaging them when they understood what had actually happened that there was a reason it wasn't just slack parenting that there was this loss, instead of judging, they started ministering. And a lot of times we just, we just jump, we see somebody, something happens to them, and we automatically assume, well, yeah, something, yeah, mm hmm. About time that happened to them. And that's what's going on here with these guys. They don't have a clue, and yet they are making judgments and they're they're speaking for god and that is a big problem now does that mean that there's never someone who's suffering as a result of god's judgment because of sin in their life that happens that happens but before we go there we actually need to know have personal knowledge, not going on what somebody says, and give people some grace and extend it to them. But yes, there is a time that we need to confront sin, but we need to do it in a loving manner, and we need to do it with real knowledge. Because what these guys were doing, they were assuming, but I said they were speaking for God. So what is actually they're doing? This brings us to the second point do not misrepresent god hopefully i've got my my scriptures right here but what these guys were doing is 
they're, they're speaking for God here. You go to, uh, this is Eliphaz again in, in chapter 15, verse 20, and he's telling Job. Now remember, what is Job? Job is sitting on an ash heap. He's using a piece of pottery to scrape the sores off of his body, and he's in pain. He's writhing, and Eliphaz is saying in verse 20, the wicked man rise in pain all his days through all the years that are laid up for the ruthless. Wow. Just, hey. That, that, if, if, if you're in pain, basically what he's saying is if, if you're in pain, you're wicked. And he's saying that, that's coming from God. And then you go over to chapter 20, in verse 5, this is Zophar again. And he was, he's saying, The exalting of the wicked is short, and the joy of the godless but for a moment. Is that true? We're going to talk about this, uh, God willing, next week as we look at the retribution principle of God's justice. Do the wicked always have short lives? Are they cut off? Do the godly always live to be 80 and 90 years old? Is it possible for a godly Christian person to die at a young age? You bet. But these guys are saying, hey, well, you know, Job, you're suffering. And you need to repent because what happens to, to, to wicked people is a judgment of God in their life. And so since you're suffering, since you're having all these issues, it can only mean that there's sin in your life and, and you need to deal with it. Hmm. Now, there is... And here's one of the, the hard parts of reading the book of Job, and it calls for discernment. It calls for spiritual wisdom. Because what these three say does have some truth in it. But it's not fully God's truth. Job rebukes these guys, and God does too. We do not, they, they were misrepresenting God. And you say, well, I would never say something like that. But when someone's suffering and we're trying to help them, do we ever say things that are not helpful? Are we ever like that guy at the funeral and say the wrong thing? It's, it's, it's very easy to say things that are not helpful. Um, one of the ones, and I've, I've, thankfully I've never heard this in real life, but uh, I saw it in a movie once, in, a, in, in someone at a funeral, someone, a, a child had died, and she's talking to the mother, and she said, well, God just needed another angel for his garden. May I say with all reverence, <laughs> God doesn't need another angel. And by the way, when we die as humans who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, we do not become angels. 
We don't get wings. We're, we're not even sure angels as a class have wings. We, 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 we go way too much on pictures and movies instead of doctrine that's found in the word of God. People don't become angels. And God doesn't need another angel for his garden. And, and this one is probably one of the worst things you can say. And I try very I don't think I've ever said this. I know just how you feel. No, you don't. I don't know how you feel. I have never lost exactly like you have. Okay, just because your parent died doesn't mean that you know how someone else feels about the situation when their parent died or to lose. Now, you may have, and there is, and we're going to get to this in, this in these positive points, you can use that experience, but it is just not a good thing to say to tell someone you know how they feel. No, we don't. You can say Hey, I'm, I'm praying for you. I, I hate that you're having to go through this. It looks hard, and I just want to be an encouragement to you as you go through this hard time. But we don't need to misrepresent God. And going through a line, is it true to say that God is still on his throne? Is it true? Yeah. Do they need to hear that right then? Probably not. Or when someone does, well, God probably took him because it probably saved him from something worse down the road. Is that comforting? I would think not. We, it's, it's easy for us to say things that, that we, we shouldn't say. That's why we need to go back to now chapter 2 and this is the high water mark remember i said that that this this comforting that goes on in the book of job goes from chapter 4 to verse 31 you would think that as it goes further in the cycles the comforting's going to get better it gets worse they start out and I've shared how they started out, but it gets more aggressive and more harsh as they go through. You know where their high water mark as comforters is? It's that passage I just read. Look back at, at Job 2. They came, and when they saw him from a distance, they didn't recognize him. They raised their voice and wept, and, and they sat down with him on the ground seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him. We need to practice this third principle in a positive way. We need to practice the ministry of presence. We need to be there. We don't necessarily need to say things. We need to listen and be engaged. Just just being present. That's their high watermark. They showed up. And like it says in Romans 12, verse 15, 
We're to weep with those who weep. There's to be empathy. They blew it when they started assuming things and misrepresenting God. But here, when they're just engaged, oh, what a difference that makes. I can remember when I was at Oak Brook in South Carolina, and I was serving as a deacon. There was a guy named Dan, and he was going through a divorce. And I went to visit him uh, that, that Christmas. That's when it was taking place. He was putting up his tree. I was there for, I don't know, an hour, hour and a half. I don't remember saying anything. I, I, was, I was very young at the time, and, and that's, that's uh, you know, sometimes the, the more, quote, knowledge we have, the more we feel the need to share it. And I certainly didn't feel like I had anything to say. But for years after that, he talked about how much that visit made. I was there. I was just there. And I, whenever he'd say that, I think, what did I, what did I say? And I never could come. I still can't remember anything I said. But I was there. Just, just be there. Job actually says in chapter thirteen, verses four and five, he looks at all three of them and said, "You guys are terrible at this. It'd be better if you didn't say anything." Maybe that's something we need to focus on and this fourth and last principle and this is the most important one but we need to point them to Jesus the ultimate comforter now this is an Old Testament book the doctrine of the Messiah is not fully revealed here we're going to see glimpses of that as we continue to go through this book but we as believers now have access to the whole bible we have the new testament we're living on this side of the cross and so we know who jesus is and we can point people to jesus and that is something that is incredibly helpful I've got the verses there, uh, John 16, and that, of course, is uh, where Jesus tells the disciples right before the crucifixion. He says, in this world you will have tribulation. But then he says, I have overcome. Meaning that whatever your tribulation is, whoever that person's going through, you can point them to Jesus because he is their peace. He can be their peace. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16 tells us that he is this high priest who is able to sympathize, or they don't have an earthly high priest who is unable, but we have a great high priest who is able to come to us in our time of need so we can point them to Jesus that's ultimately when we have the opportunity to do that's what we want to do that's our goal when we're with someone who is struggling and they're there in this um, situation whatever it might be now like I said the, the 
you go in and you have this idea that you're there to 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 listen and just to be present. I call it the ministry of presence. But in that time, there will be opportunities for you to share, to speak. The verses that Kevin read at the beginning of the service, God does allow us to go through things and then we can minister to others. Sometimes your testimony, uh, you know, just someone says, you know, I, I just feel like I can't go on. How do, how do I how do I just go on? And if you've been through something similar or some kind of experience, you can say, well, you know, I don't know exactly how you feel, but I remember feeling something like that, and Jesus got me through it. Jesus, and that can be an encouragement. Know that someone else has been through some type of struggle but jesus got them through it if we don't believe that what you're saying is well jesus might be able to deliver people through all this but not my situation my situation is so great so painful so excruciating that not even christ can get me through it is that true absolutely not but when people are in despair when people are suffering they don't always think right and we need to be able to come alongside them and you know job said some things he didn't need to be saying we'll, we'll get into that we'll get into that and then we're gonna find out where the elihu comes in at the end of the book and and helps do a little bit of corrective but it's not until we hear from God at the very end of the book that we get the full story. But God can use us to help point people to Jesus. Tell them, yes, yes, you can get through this. The power of Christ is sufficient. Jesus told Paul, my grace is sufficient. Whatever the struggle his grace is sufficient. So, as we come to uh, the end of this message, I want to remind you the promise that for believers that we have, and J Jesus says this in Revelation 21.4, I want to read that. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Now, that's in the eternal state. But until then, until Jesus calls us home, we're here in this world, and it's full of pain and suffering. So what do we do with a message like this? What's the takeaway? Well, I hope you're challenged to realize you can make a difference in someone else's life. Sometimes we are so hesitant to get involved, we see we just want to stay in our own little world. But God has called us to be salt and light and to be engaged and to help others in the body. It's not easy living for Jesus. Matter of fact, it's impossible to live for him without the help of the Holy Spirit. But he still uses the church, us, the body, 
to encourage and help one another. And we need to be willing to help others. And you know what that involves? It involves inconvenience. It involves awkwardness. It involves moving out of comfort zones. And it involves getting messy with people. Emotions. But that's what God would have us to do as a body, that we should love each other to the point that we're willing to be there for one another. You can do this. And finally, as, as Mark and the musicians come for this time of invitation, uh, I want to say if you're here this morning and you're still trying to do life on your own, if you're trying to do that apart from God, uh, that's, that's hard. I mean, it's hard enough doing life as a believer, empowered by the Holy Spirit, being surrounded by members who are willing to love and encourage you. Uh, I've heard it said many times, I don't know how lost people go through losses, and I, I really don't. But if you're here without Christ, I would encourage you, if the Holy Spirit is, is drawing you to this, you realize you don't have this, come and talk. Pastor James and myself will be down here, and we can tell you what it means to have a relationship with Christ. But without him, you, you're, you're just suffering from the absence of his spirit, and your, your future is, is not going to be what I just read in Revelation 21.4 about that uh, God wiping away every tear from our eyes. But it's possible. So I encourage you this morning to uh, embrace Jesus. And if you're here and you know someone who's, who's struggling, maybe it's not you, use this word from God as a challenge to get engaged and get involved and to be able to comfort those who are hurting. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this time. Thank you for this morning. Lord, this is it's hard in this world. And life is very often unfair. People struggle. And Lord, as believers in Christ, we need to, and we can, that's the beauty, we can encourage one another. And we can strengthen someone who's having a hard time. Father, just help us to be willing to be obedient to you. And Father, again, for those who may not yet know you, God, may they surrender this morning to the risen Christ, our living hope. We ask and pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'd like to ask everyone to please stand, turn to page 636. I must tell Jesus.
thank you for being here. Remember, Bible school starts at 630. Uh, if you are able, park in the lower lot or the upper lot. Uh, we try to keep the space between the buildings uh, free for our kids to go back and forth. But uh, And I think the church will be open today so people can come in and finish getting ready. But uh, just take these principles of God's word with you and allow him to live and work through you. I'm going to ask Eric Walker if he would dismiss us in prayer.